0: Alright, let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are a a great and an awesome God. We ask, the Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And thank you for everyone who's here. None by chance, all by divine appointment. You know exactly what everyone who's here is going through. Whether their life is going really well and they're free of trials or they're going through great difficulty. We know that no matter what we're going through in this life, that you're in control and you're a faithful God. And because of your sovereignty, we can have peace in the midst of the greatest storm. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and off the waves around us. Be our teacher this morning. Minister to every heart. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. 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 So quick catching you up background. So 1 John written by the apostle John, the apostle that Jesus loved. At this point, most believe that all the other apostles have already been martyred. John's the last one alive. And what has happened in the early church now is that false teachers have risen up. And mainly the Gnostics who were teaching that they had a special knowledge from God, that God had given them a new message and you had to come to them to get that message. And what their message was is unlike all the cults today, is they made man more and God less in the sense that they said, well, as long as you've given your life to the Lord, you can live however you want because your flesh is evil and your spirit is good. And so what they were basically was cake and eat it too. I I get to go to heaven and I'm going to go live like the world and it won't make any difference. And so much of what John has been talking about is really that this is what the Christian life should look like. And he was personally offended because he knew Jesus personally. He had spent time with the Lord. By the way, the sauna in here this morning, that's free of charge. No extra charge. People pay to go to saunas, you get it free here at Calvary Chapel. All right? Grow in your faith, get fed spiritually, and lose a pound at church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? And so, and so, John, Jesus hung on a cross for us. We can be warm for him. Amen? All right. So, John is exhorting them from someone who knew the Lord and getting them back to the simple truth of God's word that these false teachers were teaching something contrary to the word of God and if anybody has a new truth it's not new or true it's typically the same old lie and so last week when we were if you were here we talked about his exhortation to abide in Christ and to Put your faith and your hope in him and what it means to really walk with the Lord. And now as we pick up this morning, if you've got your outline, we're going to see the fruit that comes from abiding in Christ. You know, the Bible tells us in John 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches and he that abide in him bear much fruit. And so as believers, our life should bear fruit. It should be more than what we say, but how we live that lets the world around us know that we've given our life to Jesus Christ. So here's the outline Quickly, faith that comes from abiding. First, our faithful obedience to his word because we love him. One of the things that show that we're abiding in Christ is we obey him because we trust as our heavenly father and as our savior, the Lord, his son, as they give us instruction, it's because they love us and they know what's best for us. The Bible is not a bunch of rules to keep you from having fun. It is the living, breathing word of God to keep you from harm and how to have an intimate relationship with the God that created you. Amen? And so the exhortation here is that we need to be abiding in Christ. As we abide in Christ, we will obey his word. It says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We must not mistake love as an unconditional acceptance of ungodly behavior. Boy, we're living with that right now. Amen? If you love me, you will accept this is the way I am and don't try to change me. Well, guess what? We all need to be changed. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Every single one of us is a sinner in desperate need of a savior and it is nauseating to say this is how all of was born. Well, yeah, you're right because we were born a wicked, vile sinner just like me. Amen? And we don't need to hang on to how we were born or what we think we are. The Bible says if any man or any woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And we don't want to be who we once were apart from Christ. We want to be different because we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And that's the exhortation is that if we're abiding, we'll obey. And while our love should be come without conditions towards others, we must not condone ungodly behavior in the name of love. Love does win, but it's not the love wins that the world's talking about right now, amen? It's the love of Christ that wins. Number two, along with our faithful obedience to his word as a sign that we're abiding in Christ, our supernatural love for one another. One of the best compliments we get from people who have visited here who will contact me, email me, or tell me afterward is that they feel so loved here. And can I tell you, that's the way it ought to be at church. Can I get an amen to that? They shall know us by the love we have one for another. We are family. We're going to spend eternity together. And if you've been coming here, unless you dodge out quickly, I'm going to hug you. Why? Because Jesus would hug you. Amen? This is a family reunion every time we have church. And this is a picture, again, of abiding in Christ. We have a supernatural love for one another. And it goes beyond what we say to how we act and how we respond. So our love for God's people, that's love God and love people. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Tell him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You can break that down to love God and love people. Now again, we can love people and not condone their behavior, amen? So we do need to love them and then thirdly, Abiding in Christ is seen in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we're going to see, we're going to get a little spiritual maturity uh, thermometer this morning in the last three verses, where he's going to talk to three groups of people, and you're going to be one of these. You're going to be either someone who's spiritually mature, who's walked with the Lord, and, and sometimes you can walk with the Lord for a shorter time being mature, and you can walk with the Lord a long time and not be mature. But he's going to talk about spiritual maturity. And there's those who are very spiritually mature. He's going to address them as fathers. And then he's going to address young men, which can be young women as well as those who are growing in their faith. And then he talks to some as little children. They're, They're babes in their faith. They're new Christians. By the way, I love babies and I love new Christians. How about you? I love people who just got saved and they're so excited. And you know what? We should be more excited than the new believers, and often we're not. Guys, guess what? We should never allow the cross of Christ to grow common, amen? We should never allow the fact that we've been born again, that our sins are forgiven, and we're going to heaven to become common, amen? We should be excited about that. Make us not so panicked about what's going on in the world around us, amen? So let's begin there in verse 7. Again, looking at faith that comes from abiding or fruitful obedience to his word because we love him. So he just told him, let me read the last couple, verse. Verse six says, he who abides in him on himself also walk as he walked. So he's talking about abiding, if we're abiding in the Lord, if we're grafted into the vine, if we have a relationship with the Lord. By the way, does your relationship with God, is, you, is it you checking in for an hour once a week? Or is it you walking with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Are you just, you know, stopping by maybe once or twice a month just to, che- hey, I'm still going to heaven, right? You, you haven't forgot about me. Just so I want you to know I'm, I'm still here. See, I'm at church. I write it down, right? And it's too often, there's people that have that kind of relationship, checking in with God or crying out to him only when things are really difficult and they need help. Guys, we need to go beyond having a relationship that just checks in. We need to have a relationship where we walk with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, amen? So he talks about abiding, and then he says this. Brethren, I write to you no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Now, who is he refuting? He's refuting the Gnostics who said they had a new word. Sometimes you get these guys who come to your door, and they have their little name tags on, usually riding a bicycle, and they knock on your door, To tell you they've got a new word, that their their prophet Joseph Smith was out in the woods somewhere and this angel Moroni showed up and gave him a new message saying that the Bible was corrupt and they needed to fix the Bible and gave him these special glasses to read these golden plates that nobody can find. The glasses are lost. Everything's lost. But what what, and then you read the message and it directly contradicts the word of God because it says you can be God of your own planet. And that the God of our planet used to be God on another planet. And that Jesus and Satan are brothers. See, they're coming with a false message, just like the Gnostics. There's nothing new under the sun. When Satan wants to draw you away, he doesn't show up at your house with a pitchfork in his hand and horns growing out of his head and say, come follow me to hell. Very few people would fall for that. So he sends people on bicycles with nameplates. He sends... People all dressed up real nice with their, with their magazine written out of Brooklyn with some new messages for you. And the sad part is, we love them and we want to pray for them, but here's the reality they're tools of the devil until they get saved. Amen? Amen. And so it's a false message that's being, Pastor Dave, that's not very nice. Hey, you brought me to this church. Why did you invite me here? I had no idea this was coming. Guys. I want to warn you that they're not, they will say, well, we're Christians. No, you're not, because they do not see Jesus as the creator of all things, but the brother of Satan. They don't see him as the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God. They redefine who Jesus is. And here's the same thing that was taking place with the Gnostics. And so he says to them, I want to take you back to what you've already been given, See, we don't need any more books. We got 66 books written by 40 authors from three continents and three languages, over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it, amen? We don't need any more books. There's no appendages to this book. We don't need anything else, amen? And the sad part is, whenever the new book comes out, it already they always say it supersedes this one. And so what is he telling them? Let me read it to you again. I write you no new commandment. He's refuting those who come by with a new word from the Lord. I've told you, I get calls sometimes. Oh, the Kansas City prophets are coming to town, pastor. Do you want them at your church on Sunday? No. I don't need the Kansas City prophets. I got the Jerusalem prophets. Can I get amen to that? I got the Galilean prophets. I have the word of God. I don't need a new word from men that, oh, they were hanging, and the Lord appeared to them. God can do that, but if he does, it will always agree with this. Amen? Amen. It's not something new. And he's reminding them of no new commandment, but go back to what you already know. And too often people say to me, I need a new word from the Lord. No, you don't. You just need to get to know the word you've already had. Amen? Amen? I have pastor friends. Oh, I got a new word from the Lord. I read a book and we're going in a whole other direction. What, what are you doing this year? Same thing we've always done. We're going to teach the Bible and love people. That's what we're doing. It doesn't change. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow and Joshua's the pastor, it's still not going to change. If we both die in an accident together, dog will get. Well, it's not going to change. We're just going to keep teaching the Bible and loving God's people. Amen? We don't need a new word, and that's exactly what he's exhorting them. Look, I'm not giving you a new commandment. Just know the one that's already been given to you. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen? Well, this letter is filled with great exhortations and very direct admonitions, and it's written from a heart of deep affection. He calls them brethren. Hey, brothers, guys, brethren, I love you guys. Don't be fooled by the enemy. Don't be dissuaded. The word... Brethren there can also be translated beloved or dear friends. Hey, dear friends, don't listen to that that lie that the enemy is sending your way. Don't believe this new word coming from the world. Don't fall into the fact that we need to be more like the culture. No, we don't. We need to be more like Jesus, amen? And less like the culture. Contrary to the opinions of many in the world, sometimes he's going to tell them that he loves them, But sometimes when when you love people, love must be tough. Here's where I think we've confused love. We have the idea if we love somebody, we will always bend over backwards and never say anything that might possibly upset them. I don't know if this is accurate, but they said that most pastors last week were afraid to acknowledge Roe v. Wade because they were afraid they might offend somebody. Well, let me just say it again. Praise God for what the Supreme Court did, because we believe in babies being protected. Amen? And if you're offended that more babies are going to live, you need to get saved. Amen? And if you think it's all about your body, it's the body inside your body that God created that he is going to protect and we need to make a stand for. Amen? Amen? I just offended some people. If you got offended, your feet are in the wrong... If your toes got stepped on, you're standing in the wrong place. Amen? Yet Paul says sometimes growing up involves speaking the truth in love. Solomon wrote, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Sometimes your truest friend who loves you so much, they have to tell you the truth about your problems. The writer of Hebrew reminds us that God is a loving father, but he disciplines us because he loves us. I rarely read from the New Living Translation, but I like the way this, this, this is written out. Hebrews chapter 12, verse five through seven. Have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't ignore what the Lord, when the Lord disciplines you. and Don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never Disciplined. Praise God that the Lord loves us enough to discipline us when, we've got, when we get outside of his will. Amen. How many of you have been swatted by God? Raise your hand. You've had the Board of Education <laughs> delivered to the seat of learning. Can I get an amen? Praise God, because you know what that means? It means the Lord loves you. Someone who doesn't discipline their kids doesn't love their kids. Because if you love them, you will discipline them so that you will keep them from from greater harm, amen? And praise God for his discipline. And and he's saying "Your brethren, I'm I'm not giving you a new commandment. I'm just telling you to, to be faithful to the commandment you've already been given. We need to be sure that when it comes to discipline, it is never done with hatred or anger, but done in love. He calls them dear children. Hey, my dear children, just keep reading the book you already have. Hey, my dear children, forget about that new commandment. That's not from God. Be faithful to the commandment that's already been given to you. Be faithful to the word of God that's already been delivered to you. We must not mistake love as an unconditional acceptance of a godly being. Well, the Lord loves me. He'll be good with it. I've had people say that to me. Well, the Lord loves me. He loves all, you know. And I hear, by the way, don't pray. that. I pray for all, all, all God's children in the whole world. And You know what? First of all, we're not all God's children until we get saved. Amen. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And we don't condone sinful behavior because it's bringing harm to people. It's the lie of the enemy. Well, if you really love me, you'll just accept me the way I am. Um, God doesn't accept us the way we are. He changes us, He transforms us, and makes us new creations in Christ. Amen. He doesn't save us and just leave us there. He pours out His Holy Spirit upon us, puts His Spirit inside of us, He cleanses us, right? That's why we come to, we don't have to take a shower before we come to the Lord, right? We're already, when we come to him, he cleanses us from head to toe. He makes us new creations in Christ, but he doesn't leave us where we were. And it's not enough to have that get out of hell free card in our wallet and live like the world. That's what the Gnostics taught, and that's exactly what John is refuting here. If we really love one another, we will love each other enough to not condone each other's sin, but to speak the truth in love. By the way, it's not my job to go around and be the, the sin police for everyone else's life. But I also would pray that we would have enough close Christian friends that if we got outside of where we should be, that we'd have someone love us enough to come put their arm around us and say, you know, bro, I love you. And I'm concerned because I've been seeing this in your life. And I would hope you would do that to me. Matthew 18 tells us, if you see your brothers in sin, go one-on-one with him. If he doesn't receive you, bring back another brother to you with you. And so again, if if you know someone struggles in one area of their life and you see them falling back into that, we wanna to minister to them, we wanna love them, amen? amen? One of the reasons we have overcomers on Saturday night, I encourage you to go to that. If you're struggling, we, whatever you're struggling with, we all need accountability, amen? amen? Yes. We need other people to love us enough that will tell us the truth and encourage us. No one likes disciplining their children, but if we truly love them, we must. Lest we a far worse judgment come upon them, we see them headed down a path of destruction. We need to love them enough to do whatever steps are necessary to get them back on the right path. And contrary to the world's uh, again opinion, spankings are not barbaric; they're biblical. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, "Those who love you disciplines." Child abuse is not uh, love your kids enough to bring uh, the needed connect, correction. You know, we we need to just be faithful. To again, never discipline in love. Always, disip- I mean, in anger. Always discipline in love. Make sure you do that. If you struggle with doing it in anger, have your spouse do it instead. Exhort, encourage, and yes, discipline your children, but do it in love. And he's bringing words of heavy exhortation and admonition, but doing it from a heart of love. He calls them, you know, dear ones. So when he says, I write no new commandment, unlike the false teaching Gnostics, they have a new revelation. They claim to be recipients of divine revelations from God that only those who followed them would discover. By the way, and typically that is followed up with a a call for an offering. Well, I have a special word from God that only I have, and write me a check for 10 grand, and I'll tell you what it is. And this is kind of what you see on a lot of what is called Christian television. You got pastors flying around in jets who need to get saved, amen? Why? Because what are they doing? They're preaching a man-centered gospel that focuses on making him a holy Santa Claus in the sky and we only give so he'll give back. Guys, we should give because he's already given us more than enough. He's already given us everything we'll ever need. Amen? He's given us the promise of eternal life. The old commandment, which the word you have heard from the beginning, we hold on to God's perfect roadmap for life, this book that's in your lap right now. If you wanna live lives that are fruitful and will impact eternity, if you want to stay on track spiritually and keep from falling from the enemy's traps and world's distractions, if you wanna know uh, God in a more intimate way, the answer is not a new revelation, it's opening up your Bible, reading it, and obeying it. I'll be transparent. So most of you know I have a full-time job. Right now, my work is the craziest it's been in 34 years I've been there because I have two people out on surgery. I had surgery, I kept working. But I have two people out with surgery and another person retired all at the same time. And I've got a bunch of closes that take place at the end of the month and I'm doing four people's work at work. And it's easy when we get really busy if we're not careful to allow it to impact our devotional time or to impact our prayer time or to impact our fellowship time. I know some people have a hard time coming to church on Sunday because you're working Monday through Saturday, and you say, Sunday's my only day to rest, and I'm gonna sit in my pajamas, and I'll watch it on livestream later. And that can happen to all of us if we're not careful, but here's what I have found to be true in my own life. When I allow my Bible study time and my devotional time to slip, or my time of prayer to be less than it should be, here's what I find happens in my life. I become more overwhelmed by the trials of life, I become more focused on things that are temporary. I become more easily tempted. I become more indecisive about life's decisions and less likely to share my faith. Amen? Amen. See, when we stop spending time in the word of God, we stop spending time at the feet of our Savior. If we're not spending time in his presence, it's going to change how we live every single day says in Colossians 3, to set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. And again, you know, the, the apostles panicked as they were going across the Sea of Galilee because the waves were big, and they panicked because they were focused on the waves and had taken their eyes off the Savior. See, Jesus was in the boat sleeping with them. If they'd kept their eyes on the Lord, they would not have panicked. People are panicking today because their eyes are on the waves. They need to keep their eyes on Jesus. I've read the end of the book, God wins. Amen? Amen. Amen. God wins. And that should bring peace in the midst of the storms of this life. Pray for our president. The guy can't string a sentence together. Pray for him. But seriously, pray for him. But here's the good news. My faith is not in the White House. My faith is in the throne of grace. See, that's where we need to put our hope. It reminds us, God's word reminds us of who we are in him. If you're discouraged, you open up your Bible and then you start reading and all of a sudden you're being reminded of who you are in Christ. Oh, that's right. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. I have the promise of eternal life. He loves me. Oh, that's good. It's a good reminder. It reminds us of the greatness of the God that we serve. Our God is greater than you could ever imagine. Amen. Amen? No matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. Amen. Amen. And the thing about that is the more time we spend in his presence, the more we grasp the greatness of God, but we can barely glimpse the the totality of his greatness. And you know what? The reason that our trials are small is because our God is great. The only time you should have great trials is when you have a small God. I don't serve a small God. I serve a great God. I'm reminded of that every time I open up my Bible. My devotions right now are in the book of Isaiah. Good stuff. Man, I'm loving it. It's so good. Such an encouragement. Praise God for his grace. It gets our focus off the temporal and puts it back on the eternal when we read, when we read the word. It brings us back to the truth and keeps us from falling for the lies of the enemy. You know, someone, I have people that are Christians and they'll go, well, you know, they're making a good point. You know, maybe that is true. No, it's not. And they'll say to me, well, Pastor Dave, how can you be so dogmatic about that? Because the Bible says so. Amen? Amen? This is not, you're opinionated. No, I'm, Bible-aided. Amen? I, this is it. I believe what the Word says. I don't have to doubt or question or wonder or think or, well, maybe it's changed. You know, it was 2,000 years ago. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And we can trust His Word. We need, and these first century Christian ones was being bombarded by false teachers And the same need for you and I today is to get back to the truth of God's word that you already possess. Quit looking for a new message. Quit waiting for uh, another dream. God can speak in dreams. He absolutely can. God can speak to you in other ways. But I want to tell you something. For every time he does that, he speaks to me 500 times through his word. Because his word is sufficient. Amen? And God can speak to us, but if he does, it'll always agree with this. Notice he says commandment. While this speaks of the whole counsel of God, the context here is he's speaking of this commandment, and, is, and it's in 1 John chapter 3, you'll see him talk about it. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. So he's talking about the old commandment, but the commandment that is being emphasized in this text is love for one another. And it's tragic to see the division that's taking place in the body of Christ because we're fighting over things that are non-essentials. Amen? We're arguing over stuff that won't matter when we get to heaven. He now begins to give some of the commandments we're to put into practice. And the first is that we're to love one another. It's not a new commandment. There's nothing new that God is commanding us to love. He's always told us to love. It says in Deuteronomy, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It says in Leviticus, thou shalt not avenge nor bear a grudge against the children of thy people. You shall love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So the commandment is not new that we should love each other. The commandment is in the Old Testament and is throughout scripture. One of the major benchmarks of true salvation is a supernatural love we have one for another. It's obeying the word of God and loving each other. And you'll see it in people that are spiritually mature. God is giving them a supernatural love for all people. I, had a, I got a call this week from somebody who used to attend this church and left here angry. Not the only one, happens. <laughs> But the person called and said, I feel bad that I'm calling you, but my husband and I are going through a very difficult time and we really could use some help. And I thought about you. And I know that you'll probably just tell me that you're upset with me because I said, I love you. Doesn't make any difference where you go to church. We're all one church. And of course we'll help you. Amen? Amen. See, there's this mentality of, well, and my church, our church. We're not in competition with every church in town. We're all one church. It doesn't matter, you know, how they get to shore, what boat they get. And we just want them to get to shore. Amen? Yeah. And so we want to see people saved. And, and pray. I'm just as excited when they get saved at the church down the street. And agape love that both identify us and unifies us in the body of Christ. Agape is a selfless love that esteems others greater than yourself. It's impossible apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Some people are tough to love, amen? I might be that person for you. I mean, some people are tough to love. But you know what? We're tough to love, and the Lord loves us anyway, amen? He knows us best, and he loves us most. I saw a quote, it's easy to love Jesus. It's a lot harder to love Judas, amen? <laughs> but Jesus washed Judas' feet right before he betrayed him. See, we, we just need to love people and let God take care of the rest of that. That's not our job. Can I get an amen to that? We need to love people. The old commandment is to get back to the truth of God's word. And in the context, it's to love one another. Again, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 8, again, a new commandment. Wait a minute, he said it was an old commandment. A new commandment I write to you, which is true in him and in you because of the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, wait a minute. Again, doesn't this contradict everything you just said about the last verse? Well, the new commandment here speaks not of replacing or doing away with the old commandment, but the fulfillment of it. See, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. See, all the Old Testament laws that we no longer have to observe doesn't mean that they were wrong, it just means that they were all pointing to Christ and he is the answer for it, amen? So all those sacrifices of lambs and goats that took place and bulls and, and birds and, you know, doves and sparrows, all those, all those sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus. You know, he is the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. That's why we don't have to drag lambs in here on Sunday. Thank you, Lord, amen? And so we just, we just have drag tacos in here instead. But anyway, we don't have to do that. And we're thanking God for it. Praise him, amen? So Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And the law could not be fully understood without looking at Jesus. So he says, look, you need to look at the old commandment that you've had your whole life, but you also need to look at it in, in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. See, if you're not coming on Thursday nights, can I encourage you to come we're in 1 Chronicles, really, 1 Chronicles, you teach that? Yes, it's in the Bible and it rocks, Amen. Yeah. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. But when we look at the Old Testament, you know what's great about it? We're looking at it in light of Jesus. See, every Old Testament chapter points to Jesus. Show me a chapter, I'll show you Jesus in it. So he came not to do away with it. Again, the sacrifices, the feasts, the garments, the priestly garments, the tabernacles, its furnishings. I'd love to go through that. We don't have time to do that. But it all points to the Lord. The golden lampstand, you know, he's, you know, he again, everything you see, he's the light of the world, right? The, the table showbread, he's the bread of life. It all points to Jesus, every bit of it. And we praise God for it. He's the agape love personified. He gave deeper meaning to agape. See, he you've been told to love before. We just read out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but here's out of Matthew and John, here's what it says: You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, to you love your enemies? Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which spitefully use you and persecute you. Who's, whose favorite Bible verse is that? Who's that's your favorite? That's your life's verse. <laughs> Nobody. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Yeah, I like to bless them in Jesus' name. Right? The mentality that we can have, but this is the love of God. We don't, you know, we want to. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to love people that love you. We need to love people that no one else loves. Amen? He says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and you also love one another. By this you shall shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So one of the ways that the world should know that we follow Jesus is the love that we have for each other. It should blow people away how loving we are. I love that we have a a group of people helps ministry where someone needs help, word goes out, people show up and they minister to people. Praise God for that. Amen. Nobody sees it, but the person who gets ministered to really gets blessed. The ultimate example of selfless love in action is of course, the cross of Calvary. Greater love hath no man than this that he laid down his life for his friend. So if Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us, suffer and die, be tormented, mocked, and scourged, take all the sin of this world upon himself, no separation from the Father, and then raised from the dead. If he can do that for us, we can go help somebody else out for him. Amen? We can go minister to somebody else who's hurting for him. we only got one day off a week. Well, guess what? You can rest when you get to heaven. How about that? Amen? Now, notice it says there at the end of that, which thing is true in him and in you? In him. Not a problem to believe that in him, everything is true, everything is good, but in me? Jesus' is perfect fulfillment of agape love, as we come to him, as we press into him, we become more like him. You want to become more like Jesus? Spend time in his word. Spend time praising him. Spend time in fellowship with other people that walk with him. Again, as we grow in faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we grow in faith, as we spend time with the Lord, we, beca- we get to know him better. To know him better is to love him more. And as we love him more, we will become more like him. At salvation, we became new creations in Christ. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. And as we're filled with him, as we surrender to him, as a selfless, unconditional love flows from us. How many of you know people that when you spend time with him, you're like, man, that person loves people the way that Jesus does. And and do you want to hang out with them more? Boy, that person loves, when I hang out with them, I feel closer to the Lord. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we represent Jesus to a lost and a dying world. Jesus is the example of this love, not only at Calvary, but in every moment of his life. It says in Philippians 2, he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The word agape is a selfless, unconditional love manifested in the heart of a servant willing to lay it on his life for others. It's not just for the most radical Christians, it's for every believer. They shall know us by the agape that we have one for another. And you know what, we become... a a group of people that hunker down in our homes and look at social media and are entertained and we spend less and less time ministering to other people. Lord, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and focus on ministering to somebody else, amen? Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Sometimes denying yourself is answering the phone at 2.30 in the morning, seeing who's on the phone going, oh no, and answering it anyway. Can I get an amen to that? People who are constantly in need and need help. And they're just, they work. My my assistant pastor in Santa Cruz used to call them black holes of need. It just never stops. But, But you know what? Jesus loves them. And that's how you grow. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to minister to other people. Notice he says, because of the darkness is past and true light now shines. As Jesus works in our lives, he begins to transform us, taking us out of the darkness and into the light. See, the world is, is the world walking in darkness right now? Don't you just see the radical? There's nobody in the middle. Have you noticed this? You're either over here or you're over here. Nobody's here. And they're walking in darkness. How else could you be picketing, angry, cussing, and screaming because babies are going to live? It's insane. And you know what it is? It's people who don't know God. And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. They're so selfish. It's all about me. It's my body. So my choice. Well, you know what? Heaven and hell is a choice too. Yes. Amen? amen? And you need to surrender your life to the Lord. And that poor innocent 63 million babies we have killed in this country. I, Lord, forgive us. Can I get an Amen good news is they're all in heaven. Isn't that good? A love that's not only unnatural, but is impossible apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. I'm forgetting the guy's name right now. The, the guy that was a real devout atheist that was in a wheelchair that couldn't talk, talk had to use a machine. Austin. Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking said, religion is for people who are afraid of the dark. I wish he was still alive because I would say atheism is for people who are afraid of the light." Can I get an amen to that? See, they say we're afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. How about you? If you have the Lord, you don't have to be a f- God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And, and proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. Guys, but the light, we, we get it. We understand it. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Amen? Because we know him. Number one, faith comes by abiding. Our faithful obedience, again, to the word because we love him to the word of God, to what he's commanded us, verse nine, our supernatural love for one another. He who says he is light is in the light, that's born again, and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So as believers, we can be guilty of winning arguments and losing people because we want to win the argument. And in winning the argument, we can become, we can appear not very loving Amen to that. We can strike out. Look, along with being a pastor, I'm a sales guy, so I can be very quick witted and I can say things really quickly that will put an argument to rest. And I can, and sometimes I do it and I get the Holy Spirit head slap. Amen? Because what have I done? I've I'm not, they don't want to, oh by the way, blah, 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 rip them up. They walk away wounded. By the way, you want to come to church on Sunday? No. And we need, to, we need to love people. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. We need the contract to be the person what he says and what he does. He says he's in the light, but he hates his brother. He says he's in the light, but he hates his brother. So that means he's not in the light or he's, he's certainly not walking in it. He's being a hypocrite. Do you know the number one reason that most people say that they won't go to church or they stopped going to church is because of hypocrites in the church? And by the way, that's not an excuse. And don't put your faith in people. If you're coming here so other people will will prove to, that God's... You need to come here because you came here to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, not to worship men. Amen? That being said, as Christians, we should live in such a way that people see that the work of the Lord is true and it's real, amen? They should see something different. It should be different when they walk in here than when they walk into Starbucks, right? Or when they walk into Costco, right? There's some Christians there, right? But the truth is that they need to see something different here. Even the cars out there agree. They're doing amens out there. It says he hates his brother. The word to hate is to pursue, to detest. We've seen already this picture of light and darkness, but so far it's been kind of general. The darkness that's walking in sin is disobedience to the Lord. Now we get a greater example. It's hatred towards somebody, and specifically another Christian. By the way, if you are, be, if you are not in a, a good relationship with another believer in Christ, go fix that. Amen? If we have Jesus in common, we should be able to fix it. Now, there's some people that won't let you respond and you keep trying. Amen? But we need to have that love for each other. No matter how enlightened or spiritually mature someone may be or thinks they are, if his or her actions tell us who they really are, just as our relationship to sin and obedience is a measure of our fellowship with God, If you love me, keep my commandments, so too our love for one another. And God's people is a measure of where we are with the Lord. If a man claims to be Christian, but he hates his brother, he is still walking in darkness, and he's living as one who's never been saved. And sadly, many claiming to be spiritually enlightened, like the Gnostics, have only disdained for the less enlightened. By the way, the other thing you get as a pastor a lot, is people who would love to reach out to you so they can educate and enlighten you because obviously you're stupid. <laughs> and I get this all the time. You know, I want to take you to lunch, Pastor, so I can enlighten you because once you see this, you'll be more enlightened. And I love to ask them, so where are you serving in ministry, bro? Where are you at? Where are you going to church? Well, I don't really go to church. I kind of, you know, I do stuff online and interact with other people kind of like me. Okay, so and when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you, you gave to, to a ministry. When's the last time you serve somewhere? When's the last time you went down and witnessed to somebody? You know what they love to witness to? Pastors. Dude, I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven. Go talk to somebody who's not saved yet. Amen? But there's this mentality that can take place where this arrogance that comes in and they're like the Gnostics. Well, we know better than everyone else. I remember going to a pastor's conference and guys were standing out front with signs that said, Repent! big, huge signs. Repent. And I'm with a pastor friend of mine. This is back when I was in Santa Cruz. And we're, we're pulling into the parking lot and the guy's screaming at me through the window. You hypocrite. Yeah. And he's just screaming and yelling at me. And I just went, bro, you're really exhibiting the love of Christ, man. I want to know where you fellowship, man. I want to come join you there. Cause boy, you got the love of Jesus in you. and he's just screaming and yelling. And one of the things they believed is that you're not supposed to be married at all. And they have a verse in the Old Testament where, well, actually, where Paul says this would be better if you stay as I am, right? Paul was un, wasn't married at that time. But he was just talking about a devotion to ministry. But he also says, but, if you desire to be married, be married, amen? But this is what happens when you take a text out of context. All you got left is a con who screams at you and calls you a hypocrite, amen? But that's the sad part is that there are people that are so filled with anger and bitterness when they should be loving their brother, This guy thinks he's enlightened instead of loving his brothers and reaching out to the lost, is spewing venom at Christians and screams Scripture in a hateful tone with no joy. Guys, if you're screaming Scripture in a hateful tone, you need to read the verses in Galatians 5.22. It says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Amen? And so when we are sharing the Word of God, we should be sharing it with the love of God. Amen? It doesn't mean that we can't stand for the truth with boldness, but we need to do it in a loving way. We need to speak the truth in love. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The word stumbling there is where we get the word scandal to trigger a trap, to place something in a person's way that causes them to stumble or fall, to entrap or draw someone into error. Love doesn't stumble other people, amen? And that here's what that means. If you know that something you have a liberty to do will stumble somebody else, when you're around them, don't do it, amen? Paul said, if eating meat will stumble my brother, I won't eat meat, If you're going to a vegetarian's house to share Jesus with them, be ready for some Brussels sprouts and put a smile on your face. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Don't bring tri-tip as your, you know, add-on, right? The point is that when we're ministering to people, we can't, don't make it about you. Make it about how to love them, how to serve them, how to reach them, how to care for them. Don't try to stumble them. Don't be a scoundrel, amen? Even if something's in your life that you feel is okay, you may have the liberty in your heart that you can have a glass of wine with dinner. And if that's, that's between you and the Lord and the Bible, no one really con- completely condemns drinking alcohol. I mean, there's a debate there. I do believe it condemns it for pastors. I haven't drank alcohol in 35 years. Don't miss it one bit. I don't need the spirits. I got the spirit. Can I get an amen to that? That being said, if you know that somebody struggles with that, clean your house of that before they come over. Can I get an amen to that? See, this is how you love your brother. You don't stumble him. You don't use your liberty. Well, I have a liberty to do it. I'll do it if I want. Well, Paul tells us different. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. I know I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean unto himself, but to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it's unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with food him who for, for him whom Christ died. That's Romans 13, or Romans 14, verses 13 through 15. If you love your brother, don't allow your liberty to stumble them, your entertainment, whatever else it might be. Again, holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Amen. Let's treat people with the grace of God. And notice again, he talks here in verse 10, if you love your brother, you abide in the light. And we see an absence of love in the body of Christ as the source of stumbling others. The church is his bride. He loves his bride. Lord, give me a heart for your bride and for your body. Peter, above all things, have a love for one another and love covers a multitude of sin. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church that taught me a lot. My dad was the pastor. And even as a young boy, I praise God for the First Baptist Church of Wilmington and Mrs. Green Sunday School class where I gave my life to Jesus in 1968. And she's been in heaven a long time. And this, this and Santa Cruz and everything I've done in my life is fruit of her ministry. Amen. At the same time, they had a deacon board, not in the Bible anywhere, by the way. And they had a deacon board that ran the church and these guys needed to get saved. And even as a nine-year-old boy, I would sit back and look at the things that they would do and their whole attitude was to be in charge and to run the church. And and you know what happened is is it's just so tragic that they would try to get my, my, the church my dad got there was 50 people that had grown to like 600. They had to add a wing onto the church. God was blessing it. And they kept quoting from their rules. They pull out the rule. The pastor, Reverend Johnston, you need to do blah, blah, blah. And my dad would say, show it to me in here. Show me in here then I'll do it. Go away. I'm like, now you know where I got it. Okay. (laughs) So here's the thing. (laughs) And the sad part was they eventually fired my dad because he gave communion to a woman who came from another church whose membership and good standing from that church hadn't arrived yet. So they showed up at our house and fired my dad. And my dad went, Okay we moved to Orange County, started pastoring Huntington Valley Baptist Church, we started going to Calvary Costa Mesa, and here we are. See, God knows what he's doing, amen? amen? But the point I'm making is we have people that are so concerned with position and authority, and they have this mentality in the way they treat people, and they don't uh, esteem others greater than themselves, and they're stumbling others. They don't see the bride of Christ the way that the Lord sees it. One of the number one reasons people consider themselves to be Christians fall out of fellowship is the inability to get along with other believers. They feel hurt. They become bitter, even angry. They walk away or they start fellowshipping at home. We all need to esteem others greater than ourselves. Amen? At the same time, spiritually mature, mature should not be easily offended. Look, because someone's easily offended doesn't mean we shouldn't minister to them, but we also should grow enough that we're not easily offended. Does that make sense? So some people who are newer in their faith might be easily offended. Let's live on them. But we as believers should grow enough that we cease to be easily offended. I say it to my wife all the time, and people tell me, I'm unoffendable. You can't offend me. I've been offended so much, I got offend, I got a, I'm offended scars. I'm good, I'm, I'm good. I don't feel it anymore, it's okay. You know what I mean? You just move on with life, it's all right. It shouldn't be surprised if people don't know God. I like they don't know God. So he says there, but in verse 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's few things more uh, difficult than being in pitch black darkness. You're just kind of walking along waiting to get to fall down. My parents lived in the Santa Cruz mountains and they lived up in the hills and, and there were no lights up to their house. And a few times where friends would drop me off and it was literally like quarter of a mile up to their house. And I had to go through, and you would walk along, and and somebody would have their porch light on, and it would be enough. But you're walking in the dark. And see, that's where the world is. Walking in darkness doesn't know the truth. But you know what? The Bible says that not only Jesus, but we are the light of the world. Amen? And we should come into that darkness and illuminate the truth and open people's eyes by pointing them to Jesus. See, bitterness and anger towards your brother, your sister in Christ is the fruit of spiritual blindness. If we lose love, then we lose everything. You can do all things, to, all the right things and believe the truth, but if you do not love other Christians, you are walking in darkness. It is far too easy to place ministry or being right above people. Since he does not know where he's going, someone who lives without love for his sister or brother in Christ lives an aimless and meaningless life. Let me say that again. If you have hatred for your brother, you're living a meaningless and aimless life. You're void of the Holy Spirit's illuminating truth. You deny the presence of God and fellowship with other believers and the person who's blinded by darkness, the darkness of hate. Again, my heart is that we should reach out to other believers. I'm excited when I meet people that are Christians. I had a divine appointment when the lady cut my hair yesterday. I pray for divine appointments every day. Ladies cutting my hair, we start talking, and I know it's not a big job, I get it. But I have to talk quickly, it doesn't take very long. But we started talking, and this young woman, before we were done, was being transparent that she had overdosed on fentanyl, she'd been hit with Narcan three times, her life was saved. And she's been dedicated to the Lord ever since, and she loves Jesus, and she's on fire for God, and she told me where she was going to church. And by the time we're walking out, I'm hugging her, and she's, and she's hugging me, and I gave her my card and said, call me anytime, and she's going to come visit. And, and see, when we have Jesus in common, we got everything in common, amen? I meet people in line at Disneyland. I don't really go there anymore, but when I did, you know, you meet people, someone's got a Jesus shirt on. By the time you get to the front of the line, man, we're bros. Amen? Because Jesus brings us all together. Let's finish. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father when we abide. Now watch this. I'll just read all three verses and make some comments. Look what it says. The spiritual, it says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So these are the new believers. I write to you little children. I want you to know you've been forgiven. By the way, yay. Can I get an amen to that? You should be more excited about that than a walk-off home run in the World Series. Amen? We're forgiven. Little children, I write to you. You've been forgiven. But then he says this. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him, who he is from the beginning. These are the spiritually mature ones. I'm writing to you. You've known the Lord. Don't lose sight. Don't get caught up in any new thing. You keep being faithful where you are. You're the spiritually mature ones discipling other believers. Don't lose sight of the Lord. Then he says, and I write to you, young men. Because you've overcome the wicked one. So little children, the word there is an infant, darlings, little children. We each have began our Christian life as little children, and little babies are just excited, and we love that. Amen? And when we're in this spiritual state, it's not enough for us to know and be amazed at the forgiveness sometimes of God, and that new believers are. Being forgiven is indeed something to rejoice in. We must never lose sight. So maturity starts with forgiveness. You know, you know how you start growing spiritually? is when you recognize you've been forgiven. God forgave me. I've been forgiven. Praise the Lord. You don't continue walking around condemned by your past. He's already said it, separated as far as the east is from the west. So now you can start growing in your walk. But then he says, as we spoke of, of the young men, it says to them, that again, they're the ones that have overcome the wicked ones. So they're maturing. They're starting to grow. They've experienced spiritual victory. They're no longer children. They're old enough And mature enough to go into battle on the front lines to share their faith with other people. So a young man is mature enough and strong enough to go out into battle and to win. And sadly, many are satisfied with remaining spiritual infants, would just as soon avoid the battle, remain on the sidelines, and let others fight their battles for them. And then when he talks about fathers, again, these are the spiritually mature The word there, you have known him, is gnosko. It means to know by experience. It doesn't mean to know about God, but I've walked with him. I've been through fires with the Lord. I've been through difficulty with the Lord. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Who do I look to for counsel? People who've who've endured the greatest trials and continue to remain faithful to the Lord. These are people who have grown in their faith. They're the only ones that can endure it. If they were a baby in the faith, they would fall apart. And so he's encouraging and exhorting these believers. You know what he says of the one who doesn't grow? The word literally there is like, like a draft dodger or a vagrant. God didn't save us so we could sit on the sideline and watch. He's called us into battle to do damage to the enemy and to impact eternity. We expect our children to stay out of the fray and be supported by others, but we don't expect it of our adults. Can I get an amen to that? The battle came into your neighborhood. If the enemy parachuted into the into the neighborhood, you'd expect the, the children and the, and the young ones to hide out in the basement, and everyone else to come out there and defend it. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And see, this is believers, and it's sad because we have some babes in the faith that are more bold with their faith than people that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Amen. Then he says, "There I write to you, verse at the end of thirteen, as little children, because you have known." The father. It's the first stage of spiritual growth. We sink our roots deep into the fatherly love and care of God. You know what? A new believer can say, daddy forgave me. Daddy forgave me. I'm going to heaven. Praise God for that. Amen. We know him as our caring father and see ourselves as his dependent children, getting to know him as Abba's daddy, to love him and to adore him, to praise him. We're still getting to know him. Then verse 14, he says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. He's repeating in verse 14 what he said in the previous verses because he wanted them to hear it again. And the word of God can be Repetitive. Fathers are spiritually mature, deeply rooted believers, and he reminds them again to know him intimately. You know him by experience. How many of you guys have walked through some heavy-duty trials in your walk with the Lord? None of that's wasted. No suffering is wasted. Show me somebody in the Bible used mightily, I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. There is not one exception in Scripture. You can't find one. Amen? Amen? So if you're used mightily, you're going to suffer greatly. But guess here's the good news. This suffering is for but a little while. Saw that in 1 Peter. It's for but a little while. Even if it's for the rest of this life, it's still a little while compared to eternity. Amen? Amen? And the exhortation here is, look, for the babes in their faith, those of you who are spiritually mature, help get them off the bottle and give them some meat. Can I get an amen to that? Babies are, you know, when, when you have a newborn baby, you don't just put them in the nursery and, and say, so your diapers are over there and, and the formula's over there. Hope it works out and leave. That's child abuse, amen? And if you lead someone to the Lord, you don't just go, hey, here's the New King James Bible. God bless you, bro. And yeah, we need to make sure we bring those people to church. Can you get an amen? We give them our phone number. We pour into them. We take them out to lunch. We spend time with them, Amen. And that's how we disciple other people. And that's the exhortation here is, I've written to you fathers because you've known. You've already known. And you should be the ones ministering to others. Let me close with this. I love, again, you overcome the wicked one. The word, that's overcomers, I like that. Young men and women, you are strong in the word of God because you have overcome the wicked one. The word overcome there is to conquer. The verb is in perfect tense, meaning this is overcoming has happened in the past and it continues to happen in the present. By the grace of God, we've overcome what's behind us and we're continuing to overcome it today because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and God will not leave us alone and our God is faithful. Amen? Amen. And we're overcoming in Christ. Maturity comes from sustained victory says that they are strong, mighty, strong either in body or in mind. The source of their strength is abiding in the word of God. And victory comes from staying in the word of God. He tells us how the young men have overcome the wicked, con- wicked one because they abide in the word of God. If you're struggling in your walk, read your Bible. If you're struggling with your walk, get on your knees and spend some time in prayer. If you're struggling in your walk, spend time in fellowship and hang out with other believers. Amen, amen, and Amen. Prayer the word and fellowship. Spend time with the Lord and you'll cease to struggle the way that you have. The word of God abides in them. It lives in them. It dwells in them. Does the word of God richly dwell within you? Go have a conversation with Joshua Camper and count how many Bible verses coming out of that brother's mouth. Amen. Why? Because if the word of God dwells richly in you, it strengthens you for the walk and it's something that's going to be coming out of you. Amen? Amen. But if we don't spend time in God's word, we're going to struggle. We're going to be afraid. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to be indecisive. We're not going to share our faith very often. We're going to get blown off course by the smallest breeze sometimes. Amen? But the people that you see are strong in their faith, are spiritually mature, that remain steadfast, that are not blown off course, are people that are in the word, that love God's people, spend time on their knees, and because of that, they can stand in the midst of the greatest storm and keep their eyes on Jesus and never worry about the waves. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us all to be there. Victory is only possible if we are strengthened in him. So are you checking within, in with him once a week? Are you walking in an intimate fellowship? So, in closing, fruit that comes from abiding, our faithful obedience to his word because we love him. If we love him, we're going to spend time in his word. It's a part of abiding in Christ. Our, our supernatural love for one another, real agape love goes beyond what we say to how we act and then our relationship with our heavenly father. Again, where are you? Are you, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're a newborn baby in the faith, welcome to the family of God and praise God for you. Amen but we want to see you grow and we want to help you grow. If you're a young man or young woman in the faith where you've walked with the Lord for a while and God's using you to share your faith with others, praise God, God's using you in a mighty way, but we should never be satisfied with where we are. We should all want to continue to mature in our walk with the Lord and become those who other believers can come to again so that we can minister to them based on the fact that we've been through the storm that they're going through now that we've endured the torment that they're now now going through. I got another call just yesterday from someone else who lost a son the same way that my son went to heaven. And they're like, can he call you? And I'm like, absolutely. And this is a ministry I want to know part of, but it's amazing how that person at the other end of the phone is comforted simply knowing that I've been exactly where they are nine months ago. And when I went through it, I was calling other men who had lost their sons, other pastors that I knew. See, no suffering is wasted. God will take your suffering and use it for his glory if you will but let him, amen? So may we be abiding in Christ. May we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. May we we not be satisfied with knowing about God or having a, a a distant relationship with him, but may we desire to have intimate fellowship with him above all else, amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for these examples, these exhortations we've seen in abiding in you. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would continue to grow in that relationship with you, that we would never be satisfied with where we are spiritually. Not trying to earn something, but recognizing that knowing you better is to love you more. Lord, we want to love you more. We want to know you better. We want to become more like you. We want to be salt and light to a world around us that needs you. This world is so lost. And Lord, you've put us here for such a time as this in the state of California that so desperately needs you in such a time as this. And Lord, help us to be salt and light, to love you and to love people, to be, Lord, be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said